Well, good morning. I wanted to start with a little update on what's going on this fall. We're going to be going through the book of Galatians, both here at Southwood and at the Anderson campus. As I walk us through Galatians, though, this semester, I'll just warn you guys, uh, we're going to have to be a little flexible with Galatians. I have this really big event coming up in my life this fall. Uh, Julie and I are, are pregnant with twins, both a boy and a girl. Uh, we're technically, yes, it's very exciting. We're, and they're healthy. They're doing great. Uh, they're keeping Julie awake every night so, so she could use some prayer for sleep. But um, the doctors warned us they're going to come early. That's just kind of how it works with twins. They're going to come anytime in October or November. So uh, Brad Evans and Chris Pletcher are ready to jump up here. I kind of got them on speed dial. So if you see Brad or Chris, it means the twins have come. And they're going to lead you through some other stuff this semester. But I'll be here to walk you through Galatians, both before the twins come and afterwards. Now, with these kiddos coming, with this boy and girl coming, it's really changed Julie and my life a lot. It's kind of shaking everything up. Biggest change, at least up to this point, financially speaking, came about a month ago. We sold Julie's Camry and we bought a minivan. Now, yes. Uh, now, now, here's the deal. Um, a lot of you know I'm, I'm a car guy. Uh, I, I like them fast and I like them agile. And so I was not excited about buying a minivan, but we did it anyways. I was walking out of Target last week with my hands full of groceries and we walk up to the minivan and I push the button and the door slides open and I think, why have I not had this since I was 16 years old? It's awesome. We love it. Most convenient vehicle ever. Yeah, but it was actually a little bit of an adventure purchasing this vehicle, first new vehicle for either Julie or I. So, you know, we, we go check out a number of dealerships and at first, we were really open to buying a number of different vehicles, an SUV or a station wagon or a minivan. And at one point, we come across this German-made vehicle, German vehicle that meets our needs. Um, and I got to tell you, I-, I was really excited. I've kind of always secretly wanted to have a German car, uh, and it looked really good. It looked really exciting for what it was. We drove it, and it was fun to drive, and, and we're getting really excited, but I'm a cautious guy, so I told the dealer, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to do my research. It was good that I did, because I go home and I find out that only 5% of that vehicle was German-designed. This German company had bought an American-designed vehicle, changed 5% of the outside, and then had that same American company build it. And, and let me say very clearly here, before I offend anyone, there's nothing wrong with owning an American car. It's great. But it is not cool to sell someone something that's called a German car for German car prices when there's hardly anything German about it. It's not okay. That's not good. But I wouldn't have known unless I crawled underneath, unless I got past the flashy exterior and the nice cup holders and I got underneath and looked at the chassis and the suspension and the engine and the transmission. Unless you look at what's underneath, you don't know what you're getting. What matters about a vehicle is not the outside, it's the inside. It's what's underneath that makes it reliable and safe and perform well. That's what counts in buying a new vehicle. Well, that same principle is true in selecting a church to attend, in belonging to a church, in finding a church that will be your home, your family's home. What counts is not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's what's underneath that counts. When you walk into a church, there's a lot of exterior things that are easy to see. The appearance of the building, the performance of the band, the quality of the speaker. Those are easy to see, they're easy to evaluate, they are not that important at the end of the day. What really matters about a church are the beliefs, the values, the strategies that that church is founded upon. Now, for those of you who will one day move away from here and go find a church in another town, I I challenge you, uh, you will be far better served if you join a church that meets in a decrepit building 
that has no band and with a preacher that puts you to sleep, but is founded on the right beliefs and values and strategies than if you go to a church with all the right externals, but that doesn't have a solid foundation. What counts is the stuff underneath, the stuff on the inside, the stuff that's not easy to see. The most important stuff about Grace Bible Church is not our building, not our band, not our speakers. The most important stuff are the beliefs, the values, and the strategies that Grace Bible Church was founded upon 40 years ago. Those things that continue to guide us today. Now, there's a lot of beliefs that we have. There's a lot of values. There's a lot of strategies. But there are, in particular, four pillars that Grace Bible Church was founded upon and one foundational strategy. Those four pillars declare who we are. They set our identity as a church. Other churches may share some of them, but that combination of four pillars makes us Grace Bible Church. And that one strategy, that answers the question, what has God called us to do? Why are we here on earth? Why does Grace Bible Church exist? That's our one strategy. Now these five things, four pillars, one strategy, uh, you might call them our DNA, Just like your genetic DNA makes you the unique individual you are, these four pillars and one strategy makes us the unique church that we are. And just like your DNA, you'll find the same DNA in every part of your body, so you will find the same DNA in every ministry and every campus of Grace Bible Church. We're not talking about Grace Bible Church Southwood this morning. We're talking about Grace Bible Church. Every campus, every ministry shares these same four pillars and one foundational strategy. And these are so important to who we are as a church that we really need to review these at least once a year. Lots of you guys are are new to Grace Bible Church. So this morning is a chance for you to hear from us who we are and what we're about. This is what we care about. This is our identity. I want you to know before you join, this is what we're about. This is what you're going to be getting. Now, for those of us who've been here for a while, this is a good opportunity for us to review. You should know these things by memory. When someone asks you to describe the church that you go to, this is the answer. Don't talk about me. Don't talk about Ross. Talk about the four pillars, the one strategy. That's what makes us Grace Bible Church. So this morning, I'm going to walk you through these five things, four pillars, one strategy. As we go, we're going to look at the life and ministry and teaching of Jesus Christ, because we we didn't make these things up. We didn't just come up with them 40 years ago. Uh, We find them clearly taught in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You can actually turn to the book of Luke. That's where we'll be looking most of the time. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's talk about these four pillars upon which grace was founded 40 years ago. First one, not real surprising, God's Word. It's actually the middle part of our name, Bible. Uh, We believe at Grace Bible Church that this book is no mere book. Out of everything that was ever written by mankind, this is the one thing that is God's words to us. God's words, God's revelation recorded without error. It is our final authority, unmatched, unrivaled authority over everything that we think and everything that we do. We we see that value that, that God has for his word evidenced in the life of Jesus Christ, an early event actually in the life of Christ, Luke chapter 4. You guys will look with me there, starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. 
And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I want us to do some observation for a second. What do you notice about this passage? Every time that Satan tempts Jesus, what does Jesus do? He quotes from scripture. He turns to the Old Testament. He quotes from scripture. Now, here's the, here's the surprising thing. Think for a moment. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. What did God do like way long time ago before time began? He created stuff. He created all of life. Who is one of his creatures? Satan. This is God speaking to his creature, Satan. All Jesus had to do is, is with a mere thought, annihilate Satan. He could have cleaned the floor with Satan with a mere thought in his mind, and yet he doesn't. Instead of pulling out the God card, Jesus defers to Scripture. He turns to the Word of God to set an example for us, to show us that the Word of God is all we need in life. It is our final authority in life. It's powerful enough to silence Satan. Even Satan bows before the Word of God. It is sufficient for all that we need. If, If it's enough to stand up to an attack by Satan, then it's enough for our daily needs. Jesus is teaching us that the Word of God meets every need that we have. It alone transforms us. It alone protects us. It alone safeguards our lives. And that is why you will find the word of God at the center of everything we do at Grace Bible Church. Everything we do flows out of the word of God. Every decision we make at Grace Bible Church is held up to, is subsumed to the word of God. We are an elder-led church, but even the elders bow before the word of God. Every decision that we make comes from the word of God. Every ministry here, flows out of the word of God. We've got a lot of ministries, a lot of programs at Grace, but the only thing that's valuable about those ministries is that they hold out to you the word of God. That's what makes stuff valuable here. It's when it holds out to you the word of God because only the word of God can transform your life. The only reason you should be coming and listening to me on a Sunday morning is because hopefully I open and explain and lift up to you the word of God. If I'm not talking about the word of God, then it's just words. Go home and watch football. The only thing valuable about what we do here is holding up to you the word of God because it alone can transform our lives. It's at the center of everything we do. Now that's why here in this service we'll be going through Galatians this fall. In the college class, I'll be going through Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. In small groups this semester, we'll be going through Ephesians. Next semester, the book of James. We wanna keep you in the word of God. We don't do a lot of topical stuff here. When we do topical stuff, It flows out of the word of God because it is only the word of God that can transform lives. That's the power of the church, the word of God. So that's the first pillar we were founded upon 40 years ago. Let's move on to the second. Second thing that was put into our DNA 40 years ago, not surprisingly, is God's grace. Second part of our name, or actually first part, God's grace. We believe at Grace Bible Church that it is impossible to make too much of God's grace. You can't say too much about God's grace around here. You can't overvalue God's grace. 
We believe that it is God's grace that is the foundation for everything good in our lives. It is by grace alone that God provided salvation. It's by grace alone that God transforms us into Christ's likeness. It's by grace alone that God empowers us and sends us to do his work in the world. Everything comes by grace. You see that principle in the teaching of Jesus. Turn to Luke 15. We're going to look at one of Jesus' more famous parables. We often call it the parable of the prodigal son. That's not the best title. better title would be the parable of the gracious father. Look with me starting in verse 11. And Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Now, pause for a second. Notice what this young son is doing. This is about the the ultimate insult that a son could do towards his father. When do you typically divide up an inheritance? When the father dies. Son's basically saying, hey, Pop, I can't wait that long. So I'm going to declare you dead. You are dead to me so I can have your money now. Father in grace, says, okay. What does the son do with that wealth? Verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered up everything together and went on a journey into a distant country and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Loose living is a nice way to put it. Later in the chapter, we're told he spent the money on prostitutes. That's what he did with the father's life savings. He spent it on prostitutes. Okay, what comes of this son's choices? Verse 14, Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to eat. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Basically, the younger son experiences the just consequences of his sin. He runs out of money. He he has no money. He can't feed himself, so he takes a job. Actually, the only job he can find is the worst possible job in the world for a Jew. For Jews, pigs are unclean animals. You're not supposed to eat them. You're not supposed to be near them. He's living with them. He's feeding them. And in fact, the pigs have it better off than the son because they're getting fed. He's not. He's got nothing. He's desperate. He's hopeless. So finally he says, I'll go and ask my father for help. I'll return to my father. He expects that maybe if he's incredibly lucky, maybe the father will let him return as a slave, come back into the family as a slave. Let's see what the father does. Verse 20. So he got up and came to his father. But while it was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Verse 20 is really the twist of the parable. It's the surprise. If you study ancient Near Eastern culture, there is not a father in the ancient world who would ever run and embrace and kiss his wayward son. That that broke all protocol. That was shameful. This father is embarrassing himself in front of the neighbors because he's saying, I'm not going to wait for my son to come to me. I'm going to run to him. I'm going to embrace him. I'm going to wrap my arms around his pig-stained body. 
This is trying to show us the shocking extent of the grace of God. Now, grace really extended in two ways. First of all, in reconciliation. The father openly welcomes the son back into his arms. Now, this isn't what I would do. If this had been my son, on a really good day, what I might have done is said, okay, um, come back, I'll take you back, but I'm going to hold you at arm's length for a little while, because first of all, you stink. Uh, and, and second of all, I want, I want to see, I want you to prove that you really want back. I want you to prove that you really want to be my son again. You really, you really hurt me, you really blew it, I can't let you back in. But that's not what God the Father does. He doesn't even let the son arrive before he embraces him in his arms. God has no penalty box. God does not hold us at arm's length. He welcomes us willingly into his arms. But his grace doesn't stop there. Not just reconciliation, but restoration. The son has a plan. The son says, I'll tell my father, please let me be your slave. But the father doesn't even let the son finish that statement before he tells the slaves, go get the best robe, go get the ring, go get the sandals. I'm restoring this boy not to be my slave, but to be my son and to be my heir. The father restores him to everything he lost. That's how God treats us. Not only does he reconcile us, not only does he welcome us into his arms, but he immediately lifts us up. He raises us up not to be slaves, but to be sons and heirs. This kid deserved punishment. Instead, he gets a party. That's why we believe that you cannot say too much about the grace of God. You can't overvalue the grace of God. It's the basis of everything good in our lives. God's grace is the foundation of our theology here at Grace Bible Church. One thing you need to know about our beliefs, we believe in the grace of God. The grace of God is foundational to how we treat one another. The one thing I want to make sure is true of us as a community is grace. That we extend grace to one another. And grace is the primary gift that we give to this world. Primary thing that we're handing out to this community is grace. That's the best thing that we have to give. Now, let me say, you you might be here this morning and you haven't yet experienced the moment that this prodigal son did when he was welcomed back into the father's arms. You don't yet have a relationship with God. You haven't been forgiven. You haven't been drawn in to the Father. If that's true of you, then on behalf of this church, I want to extend to you this morning the gift of God's grace. That's the best gift I have to give you. I want you to know that God right now extends his open arms to you. He's looking to you. He's calling you. He's saying, come back to me. I will not hold you at arm's length. All you have to do is simply turn around and come to God in faith. Simply believe that God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ to die for your sins, to take the punishment you deserved, and then raised him from the dead. If you will believe that truth, that message that we call the gospel, then God welcomes you into his open arms. He draws you close and he restores you not as a slave, but as a son and an heir for all eternity. That's the gift of grace. You can't make too much of God's grace. That's the second pillar of Grace Bible Church, founded over 40 years ago, true of us still today. Let's move on to the third pillar upon which this church was planted, world missions. Turn to the book of Acts, also written by Luke, Acts chapter 1. Grace Bible Church was founded 40 years ago on a sacrificial commitment to the task of world missions. We believe that God has called us to sacrifice towards the task of taking the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation all across the planet. Now, before we actually read Acts chapter 1, let me say, uh, you can often tell a lot about what a person values from his last words. 
from the last words that he speaks in life, last words he speaks on this planet. I'll give you a couple examples. P.T. Barnum, the guy who founded Barnum and Bailey Circus, made a lot of money. Here were his last words. How were the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? Guy, guy cared a lot about money. He's proving it, his last words. Uh, last words of Humphrey Bogart. I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. Perhaps the guy cared a little too much about his drink. can tell what he values in life by his last words. Well, so it is with Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, we get Jesus' last words on earth. Now, before Jesus speaks, we get a question from the disciples. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? This is a good question. Remember from last week, we studied the biblical covenants. We learned that at some point in the future, Christ is going to come back and he is going to restore the nation of Israel. He's going to fulfill the biblical covenants for them. And the disciples are wondering, is it now? How does Jesus respond? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. What Jesus is saying here is, hey, fellas, that's a good question, but don't worry about that. That, that. The timing of that is in the Father's hand. Here's the one thing I want you to do. One thing I want you to do while I'm gone. Be my witnesses. Tell everyone you meet who I am and what I've done. Start in Jerusalem. That's your own neighborhood. That's the people you work with. That's the people you go to school with. That's the people you see at the store. Then move out to Judea and Samaria. That's the people in your nation. It's people like you. And then move out to the remotest parts of the earth. Every other tribe, tongue, people, and nation all across the planet. Be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Now, now that task, that command wasn't just to the 12 disciples. That's to all of us as a church. Every church, we are under the commission of Christ to take his gospel, the message of his grace, to every person on this planet. To every group of people, every people group, every tribe, tongue, people and nation. Now, if that's our task, let me tell you, uh, we still have a lot of work to do. If you look at, at the numbers today, if you do some research right now, depending on how you add it up, about 40% of the world's population is still considered unreached. Another way to add up the numbers, you could say about 6,600 of the world's 16,000 self-identified people groups are not yet reached. They don't have the gospel. There is no church for these people. They wake up on Sunday morning, they got no place to go. There is no church yet in those people groups. So that means we still have a lot of ground to cover. We still have a lot of work to do. And that's why Grace Bible Church, from the very beginning, 40 years ago, has been committed to giving sacrificially to this task of world missions. Don't know if you know, but, but well over 20% of the money you give to Grace Bible Church goes out directly to world missions. I've seen some figures. It's probably more like 30% when you add it all up. That's a lot of money. It goes straight out to world missions. That money goes to support a lot of missionaries that we have on the field. Grace Bible Church specifically has 75 long-term and 15 short-term missionaries on the field right now. Now, if you look at those numbers, you realize that's a lot of money and a lot of trained people who could be here, who could be taking care of our needs, who could be serving us, but that's not how we do it at Grace. We believe that God has called us to give sacrificially towards the task of world missions, to go out and reach the world. For that reason, we're going to always challenge one another to give sacrificially. Even in a bad economy, let's challenge one another to pull out our wallets and give to the task of world missions because that's a task that Christ has given us. 
We're going to challenge one another to pray. Every week you will find in your bulletin another couple missionaries to pray for. Please don't just throw that in the trash. Please take that and pray for those missionaries. And more and more you're going to hear me challenge you to go. I really, I really think it's not unrealistic for every single person in this room. I know there's a wide range here. Every single one of us at some point in life should participate in the task of world missions. Now, that may be three weeks you go overseas, or that may be for the rest of your life. There's lots of options, lots of different ways to do it. It could be nearby. It could be halfway across the world. Every one of us should participate at some point in the task of world missions because that's why we're here, to reach the nations with the gospel. That's the third pillar that Grace Bible Church was founded on 40 years ago. Now for the fourth. Founded on the belief that our church is called to have students and adults worshiping together. Turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Let me explain what I mean by this. We believe that we're called to be a university family church. Here's why. If you look at Luke chapter 19, we've got another parable from Jesus. Starting in verse 12. So he, that's Jesus, said, A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, Do business with this until I come back. Just so you know, a mina is about four months' wage for a common labor. We're talking about ten or $20,000 in today's money. Keep going, verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. We can stop there. That's enough for what we need to see this morning. What I want you to see is that Jesus is our master and he's gone away for a while. And while he's gone, he's entrusted us with resources, with, with money, with time, with skills, with abilities, with relationships, with opportunities. He's given us his stuff and expects us to use his stuff wisely to earn a profit for his kingdom. Not, not a financial profit, but a spiritual profit. Jesus expects us to use the resources he's given to each one of us in this room to, to maximally benefit his kingdom, to go out there and draw more and more men and women to become worshipers of him. Jesus expects us to go out there and, and do the best that we are able with his resources. Now, in the economy that we're in, in the recession that we're in, investment bankers have gotten a pretty bad reputation. But, but Jesus actually really wants us to learn something from him. He wants us to learn to pay attention to the return on our investments. We only have a limited amount of money. We only have a limited amount of time. Jesus wants us to use our money and our time where they can make the biggest impact on this planet for his kingdom. He wants us to get out there and be wise stewards using his resources to advance his kingdom to the best of our ability. Now, in the particular community that we live in, in Bryan College Station, we believe that the best strategic use of our resources is university students. We believe that the best bang we can get for the kingdom of God is by reaching university students. That God has dropped in our laps. Not sure if you've kept up in the Eagle or on KBTX, but this semester, A&M is admitting 8,200 freshmen. It's the biggest freshman class in the school's history. It's actually the biggest single campus freshman class in the entire nation. 
And you add up those 8,200 freshmen with everybody else, you're going to break the 48,000 mark they set last year. Over 48,000 students at A&M right here among us from all over the world, many from China, from Iran, from places that we can't even go with the gospel. And then you add to that another 10,000 students at Blinn. And Brian, you've got almost 60,000 students that God has dropped in our laps this week. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, he's dropped them right on my road to work, right into my <laughs> parking space at HEB. You're a little bit annoyed. I, I know, I know. It's, it's a, little, little, a little bit frustrating when all the students arrive. But please, uh, step back for a minute and look at the big picture. 60,000 students that God has given us to reach the world for Christ. Think about students. They, they have more flexibility. They have more energy. They have more optimism. They have more opportunity than the rest of us to reach this world for Christ. They have incredible capacity to do damage to the kingdom of Satan. That's why Dick Davison, one of our longtime elders who died a couple years ago, used to say that college students are the tip of our spear at Grace Bible Church. They're the ones with the greatest capacity to do damage to the kingdom of Satan. Now, that's, that's proven by another statistic from World Missions. I t- said earlier, we have 90 missionaries on the field right now. About 98% of them are Aggies. Students go. They can go all over the world and take the gospel all over the world. So imagine with me for a moment, what if we, Grace Bible Church, what if we capture 5% of them? What if we capture 5% of these 60,000 students and we draw them in and we raise them up to be followers of Christ and then we send them out to reach this world for Christ? That means that every four to five years, we will be putting onto the planet 3,000 workers and leaders for Christ's kingdom. Let me ask you, what other church in the nation has the opportunity that we do? Really believe Grace Bible Church is probably the luckiest, most blessed church in the country. We've got 60,000 students sitting in our laps. If we can capture 5%, we'll be sending out 3,000 workers for the kingdom of God every four years. That's incredible. But to do that, to reach those students, we must have mature families. It's families that are the foundation of our church. That's just practical. Students leave all the time. They only stick around for like four or five years and they're out of here. Families are what brings maturity and stability to our church. It's only as we grow as families who who look beyond our own needs and reach out to students that we become the church God has called us to be. A university family church fighting back the kingdom of Satan through these students whom we send all over the planet. That's the opportunity that we have here at Grace Bible Church. Now, if you were over at Anderson this morning, you would see that their, their morning attendance is divided about 50% students, 50% adults. We're getting closer here at Southwood. That's actually the ideal. That's what I want. This isn't like the adult service, and then there's the college service. No, we want it mixed. There is a college class. We want you students to go to that next, but we want you here first. Because we're a church planted on the principle that students and mature families should be worshiping together. That's how we make the biggest strategic impact for the kingdom of Christ on this planet. So the four pillars that were put into Grace Bible Church 40 years ago, God's word, God's grace, world missions, students and families worshiping together. That's who we are. If you want to belong to Grace Bible Church, that's what you're buying into. That's our identity as a church. But with that said, let's move on and answer the question, what has God called us as a church to do? What is our task here in Bryan College Station? That's answered by our one foundational strategy. That's what I want to talk about next. The one strategy we have as our church, one strategy that guides all we do is spiritual multiplication. 
Now, this isn't just true for our church. Every church at the end of the day really should be about the business of spiritual multiplication because Jesus told us explicitly that that's what he wants us to do. Matthew 28, a passage many of you are familiar with, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may not realize it, but this is actually a very significant change that Jesus is making in these verses. If you were here last week, you remember we studied the covenants. what, what, What type of kingdom was the kingdom of God in the Old Testament? It was a political kingdom. It was a nation of Israel. God worked on the earth through a political kingdom, the nation of Israel, that grew through political and military means. But all of that changed at the cross. The nation of Israel rejected her Messiah. So God, for a time, has set aside the nation of Israel and has created something new, the church. An invisible kingdom made up of Jews and Gentiles alike who grow not through military expansion but through spiritual multiplication. The church grows as every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ raise up new followers of Jesus Christ who raise up new followers of Jesus Christ who raise up and on and on and on. That's that's the power of exponential growth. Now, if you've been around Grace Bible Church long enough, you've definitely seen our mission statement in the last few years. It's on everything, your bulletins, website, all over the place. We've kind of rephrased Jesus' words. This is our mission statement, raising up next generation leaders to reach our world for Christ. It's just a fancy way of talking about spiritual multiplication. We believe that every person in this room was created to be a leader in Christ's kingdom. Every one of you, whether you're leading your family, whether you're leading 10 people, whether you're leading 1,000 people, you were created to lead. You were created to influence others, to raise them up to be leaders in Christ's kingdom who will then raise up more leaders, who will then raise up more leaders, and on and on and on. That's the way our church grows. Our church is not going to grow through our fancy programs. It's not going to grow through the work of the paid staff. It's going to grow when every single one of us steps up and becomes a multiplier. Says, I'm going to pass on what I've been given as a follower of Christ to someone else who will then pass it on to someone else and someone else. That's how we grow. Now let's get practical for a minute. Let's kind of draw this together to our application this morning. How do we actually do spiritual multiplication? How do we accomplish this task that Jesus has given us? Well, two very simple words, two very simple steps through evangelism and discipleship. Those are the two steps to spiritual multiplication. It's really a very simple thing. How do you multiply yourself in the world? Through evangelism and discipleship. First step is evangelism. That's where we go and we take the gospel, this good news of who Jesus is and what he's done, and we share it with everyone who will listen. All of us are called to go share the gospel. That's the first part of spiritual multiplication. Let me say that the the thing that I'm really excited about this fall, the, the thing that I really love about the book of Galatians that makes me excited to come speak to you guys each Sunday is the fact that Galatians has a ton to say about evangelism. It is all about evangelism. Paul wrote Galatians to teach us how to share the gospel powerfully, clearly, convictingly. He wrote Galatians to motivate us to get off the couch and get out there and share the gospel with all who will listen. So this semester, I believe and I'm praying for it. I invite you to pray for it too. I believe that God is gonna grow us evangelistically as a church. I think Galatians is gonna be the thing that God uses to create a little bit of a a mini revival right here, right here in these seats moving each of us to go out and share the incredible grace of God 
with everyone who will listen. Let me give you a way to start that revival, to start that process. I've got, got a specific task for all of us. I want you this week, preferably even today, go home and create your own Jerusalem 3 list. Now let me explain that. Remember, Acts 1-8, Jerusalem refers to those people who are in your life, who are nearby, friends, family, co-workers, fellow students who don't yet know Jesus. I want you today to write a list of three people God has placed in your life already, friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, who don't yet know Jesus. I want you to write those three names in your Bible or in a journal or on a three-by-five card that you keep with you. Write those three names out, and every week this semester, pray for those three people. Maybe that's some particular day each week. You're going to pull out that card. Pray for those three people. Pray for their salvation. Pray that God would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel and then pray that he would use you to accomplish it. That he would use you to share your faith, give you an opportunity to share the testimony of what God has done in your own life with those three people. If you'll pray for that each week and if it's true what the Bible says that God responds to our prayers, then I believe that at the end of the fall we'll get together and we'll have some incredible stories about what God did through us in the process of evangelism. So that's the first step of spiritual multiplication, sharing the gospel, sharing our faith with all who will listen. But evangelism is just step one. At the end of evangelism, you've got a new believer. The process continues with discipleship. And discipleship is a fancy word. It's kind of a buzzword in Christian circles. It's actually really simple. Discipleship is just about training new believers to think and act like Jesus. That's all it means. Raising them up, training them to think and act like Jesus. Now, that's not an overnight thing. That takes a long time. Discipleship takes years. Uh, And it's not just talking about like your knowledge. It it refers to every part of a person. To grow as a disciple of Jesus affects my knowledge, my skills, my relationships, my character. Everything about me changes. Every part of me has to come into submission to the example of Jesus Christ. So that's the task that we're called to do. Not just evangelism, but also discipleship. Let me get practical for a moment. If we are going to disciple new believers to become like Jesus Christ, then we have to be growing ourselves in Christ's likeness. We can't pass on what we don't already have. We must first grow as Jesus' disciples. That's kind of a prerequisite to this whole spiritual multiplication thing. Every one of us in this room this fall should be growing as a follower, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, coming here this morning, listening to a sermon, that's a good start. I hope that you are learning. I hope that you are growing. But this is a very passive thing going on right now. I'm speaking, you're hearing. That's not the best way to grow. Best way to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ is through active participation. It's when you gather together with a smaller group of people and you actively dig into the word of God on your own and you discover its truths and you apply it to your lives and you hold one another accountable. That's how you really grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. So uh, I want to give you a, a list of the opportunities we have available for you this fall to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. We've given them to you in your bulletin. It's the Get Connected sheet. So pull that out. Pull out eight and a half by 11 right here. Just going to walk through these. If anybody doesn't have one, I think the deacons, do you guys have some? Oh, Dan's grabbing them now. We'll grab some for you. Okay, pull out this Get Connected sheet. Let's start with this page that on the top says Adult Bible Fellowship. It looks like this. Adult Bible Fellowship. We're going to start on that page. Uh, uh, First half of this page refers to Anderson. If you don't have this sheet, you can raise your hand. The deacons have one. They'll bring you right now. So just raise your hand if you don't have this sheet. Really, does everybody have this sheet? Raise your hand. We've got some over here to the right. 
Great. Okay. You guys will pass those out. Dan, we got a few over here. Oh, you guys will get them. Thanks, Brooke. Okay. Let's start with the middle of the page. It says Adult Bible Fellowship right about here. We have a number of options for you to grow as a disciple right here on Sunday mornings at the Southwood campus. During the 11 o'clock hour, we've got a number of Adult Bible Fellowships. The Joshua class has been going on for a year now. They meet in room 210, an awesome opportunity to gather together. They, they cover all kinds of different things from Scripture, have great community, uh, great opportunity to grow. We're launching a new class right under that for newlyweds and those who are young marrieds. This is going to be an awesome opportunity. If you are engaged, if you just got married or you've been married for a couple of years, a few years, this is the class for you. Awesome opportunity to grow in your marriage. You will be getting together with other uh, young married folk, but you will be led by people who've been married for a long time, who will mentor you, who will teach you, who will encourage you, who will help you to grow in your marriage. I believe our own Chip and Debbie Howard, yeah, they're going to be teaching uh, through marriage, and and they're a very funny, very awesome uh, married couple. So great way to grow in your marriage. Below that, the grad group. This is a group of uh, Grad students, recent grads, seniors in in college who are preparing to head out in the world, preparing to impact this world for Christ. They meet here at 11 o'clock. Great opportunity to join them and grow in preparation to head out all over the world. So number of opportunities at 11 o'clock. There's actually another opportunity if you move down to the bottom of the page. Grace Life Electives, these are short-term classes that meet to cover a specific topic. And we've got one that I'm incredibly excited about here at Southwood on this, uh, these Sundays, 11 o'clock, Essentials. If you've never been through the Essentials material, that's what you need to do this semester. Essentials walks you through the fundamental beliefs and practices of the Christian faith. It will change your life. It's like discipleship on steroids. It's really, really awesome. Rick and Carolyn Jones will be leading it. I'll be going there and teaching as often as I can. You want to come to Essentials. It's incredible. It will really help you to grow. It starts, let's see, starts September 20th, so you have a little time for that. And a few more classes that you have if you're raising teenagers. We've got a class for you for that. If you really want to go deep and learn New Testament Greek, we've got a class for you for that. And then uh, let me camp on this one for a second. A couple weeks ago, I preached on the subject of pornography. I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, You want to defeat it, you want to overcome it, but you just keep falling to it. Celebrate Recovery is for you. It's a ministry for anyone struggling with addiction, or or maybe it's addiction, you're not sure yet, uh, for sexual sins like pornography, for alcohol, for drugs, for any of those things. It's private, it's it's, uh, confidential, it's incredibly powerful, it will help heal you and grow you. Celebrate Recovery, awesome ministry meets right here at Southwood in the Fellowship Hall. Okay, all of these opportunities on this page, there's a lot more details online. So go to grace-bible.org to find out about these things. Now flip to the other side. These are our small groups, our small group ministries. All of these you can register for online. Just go online, fill it out, and you're in. We've got a number of different opportunities for you. Men's and women's Bible study at the top. Uh, These meet primarily on Wednesdays. Got a lot of different curriculum that's being covered, a lot of different choices. Uh, Some are just men's and women's in general. Some are more specific, like the 2030s group. Uh, Lots of different opportunities. Again, like I said earlier, we'll be studying primarily, most of us, the book of Ephesians this fall. Promise you it will be life-changing. Few books are as comprehensive and powerful and practical as Ephesians. So come join us for Ephesians this fall. Uh, So you can do men's or women's Bible study or the other option for you to cover that material is a home church. Home church obviously doesn't meet 
at church. You meet at home. You gather in each other's homes, families together. Usually you're meeting every other week instead of every week, covering Ephesians together. So that's an awesome opportunity. Often you may have the kids around, you may not. You may eat dinner together. Really fun group. So home church is another option. Finally, for our college students, we have lots of opportunities for college students. First opportunity, like Trey mentioned earlier, right after this service, 11 o'clock, college classes meeting in the fellowship hall. College students just go through the foyer, keep going into the fellowship hall, meets at 11 o'clock every Sunday. But then really the best place for you college students to grow is in a small group Bible study. We have a number of options for you based on what you'd like to cover or based on your age. For freshmen, Dulas meets on campus. It's an incredible small group Bible study ministry. You meet all together, like 200 freshmen together for a bit, and then you split up into your groups. It's awesome, really great ministry. The number of other options for upperclassmen uh, that you can check out. All these, again, you can register online. You can find more information online. So at the end of the day, God has called each of us to be about the business of spiritual multiplication. And we do that through evangelism and discipleship. And I'm really challenging you guys Please choose one of these options this fall. Get plugged in. Grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're not growing as a follower of Christ, you can't help others grow. I hope this morning as we've gone through our four pillars and our one foundational strategy, I hope you have a sense of who Grace Bible Church is and what we're about. I hope that you're finding out that this is a place where you'd like to belong. If this lines up with your beliefs, with your values, we want to have you. We want to challenge you. Become a member. Don't just sit in the pews. Become a member of the church. Join a a Bible study. Serve. Belong. Become part of us. Let me pray for God's help uh, to help all of us to grow in evangelism and discipleship to reach this world for his son. Lord God, thank you so much for your faithfulness. We've been around now for 40 years. We don't take that lightly. We know that you are a good God, that you are gracious. We bow to you as our sovereign, as our Lord, We know that this church belongs to you. It's not really about us, Lord. It's about you. And we thank you that over the last 40 years, you have been faithful to us. You have guided us. You've directed us. Thank you for building into us these four pillars and this strategy. Thank you for directing us to your word and to your grace, to the task of world missions, to the priority of college students and mature families. Thank you for helping us to grow as spiritual multipliers. Thank you for the progress that we've already seen. So many Aggies sent all over the world, Lord. Thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this room. I believe, Lord, that Galatians is going to be an incredible book for us, a convicting book, a challenging book this semester. I pray, Lord, that you would do business with us, that you would change us, that your spirit would fill us and transform us and help us to grow, to be faithful to the task of evangelism and discipleship. Pray for every one of us that we would create those Jerusalem three lists, that we would look for the three people you put in our lives this semester who don't yet know you, that we would be faithful to pray for them, that we would be faithful to share the gospel with them. And I pray that we would each be faithful to grow as your disciples, to become more like your son, Jesus, by participating in one of these small group ministries. Please, Lord, help us to grow. Help us to become more like your son, all for your glory and for the honor of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Right, one last reminder, next weekend, iLeader Conference. It's our annual leadership conference over at Anderson. Come Friday night and Saturday. I'll see you guys next week for Galatians. God bless.